Hello, Autism One Radio listeners, and welcome to our show, The Parent-Physician Partnership for Healing Our Children. On each episode, we have discussed a specific topic related to overall biomedical intervention for neuroimmune disorders and provided an update on my son Jake's recovery from autistic symptoms under the care of Dr. Stewart. Today's topic is controversial, but we will have an open and informative discussion about vaccines. I'd like to introduce my co-host, Dr. Kendall Stewart. Hello, Dr. Stewart. Hi, Lisa. How are you today? I'm doing well, thank you. Good. Well, we were in your office today. Uh, We had an appointment, and I was talking to one of the parents in the waiting room who was coming in for the first time, and she asked how long you've been treating my son, Jake. And I had to think about that, and I thought it's already been over two years. Mm -hmm. The reason I'm mentioning that is to remind everyone that the recovery process is a long one, and results did not happen overnight for Jake, and we still have occasional regression, which we've talked about on some of our past shows. But overall, Jake's making amazing progress, and I'll talk more about that as we go through this episode. Um, I know you probably remember our first visit here when he spun around in your chair and had a tantrum in the waiting room and had to be held down during the testing. Um, And you probably never imagined we'd be sitting here today talking about the vaccine controversy, which is where I've brought you into this conversation. But I wanted uh, for everyone to hear your experience on this topic I know you get asked this question probably on a daily basis from your patients asking, you know, well, what happened? Um, you know, was it the vaccines that caused my child to regress? Was it another environmental insult? Was it an infection? So I hope we can get clarity around this today and just um, lay the science out and get an, uh, a doctor's perspective. Sure. And um, our story, just in a really uh, brief summary, is that Jake did suffer regression after receiving several vaccines in a very short time period within a couple weeks. Um, but I don't think a lot of people have heard uh, your explanation of what happened with Jake and mm-hmm. his immune system. Well, obviously, Lisa, you have you have picked a very flashpoint topic, uh, not only among uh, uh, professionals, but also among uh, many of the government uh, agencies and programs that support uh, public health. The, the first thing I want to point out is that um, in the practice of medicine, I don't think there's any physician who um, would recommend or not have recognized that all therapeutics are not good for all people. And so the biggest point that we have uh, regarding the vaccines is that sometimes there is a conflict between public medicine and private medicine, meaning that when I became Jake's doctor, um, my goal was to take care of Jake um, as best I could and not to be caught up in the concerns of the public medicine outcry. Now, obviously, we don't want significant types of diseases uh, traveling through the community endangering others, but I think uh, a little bit of the uh, concept of public medicine requirements and public medicine um, um, practice have been lost on the children with autism. Um, um, You have to turn yourself to uh, uh, listen to your patients in general. You have to pay attention because I think that uh, not all parents are out there saying that vaccines induce the autism in their children. And in fact, um, you know, I I would say roughly uh, it might be 70 to 80 percent of parents who have made that association. Now, that's a lot, and obviously I can tell you all those people are not wrong. Uh, The way you have to be as a doctor is you have to accept that what the patient is telling you and certainly what the parent's telling you is correct. And so when this first happened and we first started uh, dealing with patients, a lot of patients with autism, and heard this concern, um, 
you have to uh, back off as a doctor and take it um, with a grain of salt. You have to understand that we need to make some scientific understandings of this problem. Now, I had no um, doubt in my mind that there could be a significant vaccine potential for these children. And really because of my background in uh, mostly adult medicine dealing with neurosensory disorders, uh, and dealing with viral infections, it was not confusing to me at the, in, the, in the least. Um, where I think the controversy over vaccines has occurred is that um, we've become a little bit lost in what really is causing the injury potential from vaccines. And I think the most important thing for us to remember is that the status of the person receiving the vaccine is the most important concept. Vaccines by nature are are designed to introduce uh, a infectious uh, component or a piece of an infectious component into the immune system and then they are custom designed to initiate a major inflammatory response to that uh, introduced agent in order to try to get the immune system to respond in an aggressive fashion. Okay, Now, by nature and by design, that is what vaccines are supposed to do. I think we get lost in the fact that many doctors uh, who are giving vaccines don't quite understand what they're supposed to do and don't understand that the more agents we introduce uh, and the more stimulation we provide, the more explosive the immune system becomes. And in fact, it's almost an exponential explosion. Right. So we, we clearly get into problems no matter what the immune status is in your children introducing multiple agents at a time or multiple injections. And I don't think that anybody would disagree with that. Right. I know when I was growing up, I think I had maybe five vaccines. Mm -hmm. And when I looked at Jake's vaccine record, we had well over 36. And I remember the day that uh, I call the day where I think that the regression really started. He had kind of an upper respiratory infection, a little bit of a cold. We went in for his regular scheduled shots, and I had hesitation because I thought, you know, he's really not feeling well. And I remember specifically, this was back in 2001, the pediatrician said, he'll feel better. Uh, the vaccines will actually help his immune system, so he'll be fine, um, you know, and don't worry about it. And so he got eight vaccines on one day, two of which um, I know you and I have talked about have live viruses in them, varicella and MMR. And within a couple weeks, we just lost our little boy. I mean, he stopped looking at us. He stopped talking. And it was really, at the time I look back, um, I couldn't say, well, you know, there's the connection. He, it was definitely the vaccines. I wasn't sure. And what I saw um, after, and we continued vaccinating him. So, you know, six months later, he got his next regular scheduled dose. And then one year and then two years. And what I saw with each uh, vaccination was that regression. And I actually gave him his last MMR at age four and a half. So it was. It took me a long time to really associate those. I wasn't one of the parents that saw a fever or seizures or anything after a vaccine. You know, more of an acute reaction with Jake. It was more gradual, mm -hmm. and that was difficult. Right, and I'll and I'll tell you more than pointing the finger at vaccines, uh, which I mean. To a certain degree, I, I can tell you I have no doubt, knowing what I know now, that vaccines certainly do contribute to the initiation of uh, uh, developmental delay in many children. Um, instead of pointing the finger at the cause, I want to explain, I think, if I can, the pitfalls that you can get into with vaccines, and I think it will make itself clear from this explanation. 
certainly we know that from past experience, multiple researchers, there's a few pitfalls to get that you don't want to get into. Multiple vaccines together, vaccines following an illness or during an illness, okay? Certainly grouped vaccines, close, close grouped vaccines, and also clearly giving vaccines to kids who are immunologically compromised, okay? Now, when I say immunologically compromised, this is a very, very, very poorly understood topic by most physicians. Most physicians, uh, I think, to their detriment, believe that, um, that vaccinations are uh, by nature preventative. They are not. Vaccines by nature are what we call palliative. They reduce the severity of an infectious uh, event mm -hmm. if you have a normal immune system that you vaccinated. Okay? Mm -hmm. Now, by definition, many doctors falsely believe, in my mind, that if a child is immunocompromised, they need vaccines more than other children do. Mm -hmm. That is completely contradictory to the thought process that we should develop because. In general, when you introduce a vaccine to an immunocompromised patient, you are defeating the entire purpose of the vaccine because the child is not able to manifest a normal immunological response to that vaccine. Now, the problem is, is that we also have run into some pitfalls with understanding what immunocompromised means. Okay, The immune system is divided into two major components as far as lymphocytes are concerned. We have T cells, which are the killer cells of the immune system. They kill and control the immune system, so they kill viruses, bacteria, fungus, and cancer. Then we have the B cells of the immune system that tend to be the cells that develop antibodies, give us inflammation, and give us allergies. Now, in a perfect world, a perfect immune system, those are excellent uh, in an excellent state of balance. Mm -hmm. And those children are going to respond to vaccinations to a certain degree fairly well, meaning that they will develop the antibodies to help them prevent the disease. They have the killer cells primed that when the antibodies attack the offending agent, the killer cells will rush in with other immune cells and kill the agent and give less of a chance or severity of the disease process. But most doctors believe that the immunocompromised child is a child whose immune system is absolutely just devastated, and that is not necessarily true. There, are a, there is a specific state that is fairly common, we're realizing, where one part of the immune system is deficient, and that is the T cells, and that's where autism uh, falls. And you're, so you're referring to when we brought Jake in, I remember one of the first uh, labs that we did on him was the CD4, CD8 ratio. Correct. And so I always wondered, had we done that ratio before we started his infant vaccines, would that have caused us to have alarm and maybe stagger them out or delay them? Well, it depends on how clever the doctor was that was taking those tests. Well, okay. so in fairness, do most pediatricians understand this? No, because I'd tell you if you mentioned CD4, CD8 ratios to most pediatricians, they'll tell you that's the number one sign of AIDS and, or mm -hmm. HIV infection. Well, and that's what I thought it was. Right. When you told me you wanted to do that on Jake, I said, well, what do you mean? That's what they do in AIDS patients, right? right? So, exactly. Um, or severely immunocompromised patients. Right. And I did not remember. I had the kid that early on he was always sick. Then he went through years of never being sick. Correct. Which you explained later in the past episode is a right. problem. Well, in general, whenever you um, have some of the genetic foundation problems that we are now recognizing in children who develop autism or sensory integration disorder, you really have a situation where from an either a nutritional or a stimulation uh, 
uh, deficit uh, for that child, they become uh, depleted in their T cells. Now, when you have that state, you certainly are not able to kill infectious agents very well. Mm -hmm. And so the only solution that the body in, indeed has during that uh, compromise period is to take the B cells, the cells that create inflammation, uh, allergies, and oxidative stress, which is inflammatory stress, they become very hyperstimulated. Okay, meaning that they're very overactive. They're trying to make up for this deficit. Mm -hmm. And by introducing an agent, one agent, um, from a vaccine standpoint, you're going to create a lot more inflammation than in a normal regulated immune system. Now, when you start introducing multiple agents, then you're going to set off an enormous amount of inflammation. And when you introduce that with other uh, in vaccines that probably involve live viral components such as varicella or measles or rubella, then we certainly create an environment where we have not only compromised the immune system's status, but then we're putting a live infectious agent in there that has the capability of attacking the nervous system. So in general, the problem with vaccines in my mind, and please don't take this offensively where thimerosal is not involved, I do not believe in putting mercury uh, contaminants or mercury stimulants in to vaccines, but the biggest problem with vaccines in my mind, for the most part, is that we are introducing them in way too frequent of um, um, numbers, uh, way too uh, closely spaced, and we're introducing vaccines that involve live viruses that are causing the problem. So you introduce a live virus that has the possibility of infecting either the intestinal tract or the nervous system, and you expect this maligned immune system to control it and contain it normally, that's just not going to happen. And so now what we are able to do, because we've recognized some of these genetic predispositions, is I believe we're able to predict which children will have the potential to develop that problem, which children will not. Well, while I think it's great that we have this science, unfortunately it's not getting to the places it needs to get to. No. And I've been sitting in on some of the recent IACC meetings, uh, some of the National Vaccine Advisory Committee meetings. Um, I've also provided testimony for them. And there's a there's an underlying current that we need to, yes, we need to stick to the vaccine schedule because there's many more infectious agents that we need to develop vaccines for. And I did some research on my own just out of curiosity because I know that the current vaccine schedule is up to 42 vaccines before, I think, the fourth birthday. But there's another 150 in either various stages of clinical trials or awaiting FDA clearance. Mm -hmm. So my question, actually, at one of the NVAC meetings to um, one of the people sitting on the CDC committee was, are we going to be giving our grandkids 250 vaccines? At what point do we say enough is enough? Because really, we could build a vaccine for every infectious agent in our environment, if you think about it. Sure. And I read, um, I get a lot of biotech news that there is development efforts for many, many diseases. So instead of isolating the children that may have an issue with vaccines, it seems like we're just looking at um, the vaccine program. And I know that there's also a business case for this where people make money on vaccines. So it's really difficult for me as a parent when I see uh, the new H1N1 vaccines coming out and the Gardasil and Cervivax and all these other ones in the Rotatech, I mean, for example, because after what we experience in my son, I don't want to give him another vaccine for the rest of his life. Correct. Well, I'll tell you that um, 
I certainly think that there are some positive things with vaccines that we need to recognize. And diseases that we cannot kill or recognize or control in any other mechanism that's currently available, uh, vaccines are probably currently our only option. Mm -hmm. A perfect example is the polio. Right. I mean, if you acquire polio in this day and age, uh, which still happens, by the way, I mean, it's not completely eradicated. Mm -hmm. And in some... Uh, some process, uh, excuse me, some studies they're showing that it may be actually making a return in some countries. But we cannot overcome polio by any method just because of the type of virus it is. And it is a very difficult uh, road to hoe, I guess is a good way to put it. Mm -hmm. So in that situation, polio vaccines are probably the best thing that ever happened because it was a very devastating disease that caused tremendous uh, havoc and expense across the population. Now, when it comes to other vaccines, though, with things like chicken pox, and this is um, a question I hear from everybody, why we caught chicken pox as a kid and nobody ever died of chicken pox, so why in the world do we need to give chicken pox? Well, that's a really good question. And I think I hear the same thing with Gardasil. If nobody really dies from uh, uh, cervical cancer, why in the world are we worried about Gardasil? Okay. Mm -hmm. And so those are questions that I can't really answer for you because those are the same questions that I'm asking myself. Now, that doesn't mean that um, that we don't need to consider that vaccine development is something that's all negative. I think you'll find out that um, if you have a normal immune system, vaccination may indeed uh, reduce the morbidity of some of these of some of these diseases. The problem that I have is that I have um, an ache in my heart, um, which I'm sure all parents of kids who have affected children have, is that we have this general denial across the medical community for probably financial reasons mm -hmm. that there's anything going on or any link between the problem. We all know that that's not true. Right. Now, you know, I'm a surgeon by training, and no matter how good my skill would be in performing an operation, if I didn't tell you that during that operation you could die, then I did not perform provide proper informed consent to you no matter how little the chances are of you were of dying during that procedure mm -hmm. and so informed consent is a um, is a mainstay of the ethical um, relationship of the patient to the excuse me of the doctor to the patient and what I've had the hardest time understanding is why we've decided as a community to mandate uh, the requirements of these vaccinations and forego the responsibility of informed consent. Because you all know that the FDA is almost ridiculous at the number of uh, requirements it has on every medication to inform you that maybe Tamiflu does cause upper respiratory infections when we actually use it to treat upper respiratory infections, mm -hmm. okay? But we don't do the same thing for vaccinations. Well, so if I can take us down to a political discussion sure. for a moment. I believe the reason for that is liability. Um, one in three Americans have an adverse drug reaction, and pharma companies spend a lot of money trying to make sure that those don't happen and they don't get sued. Um, and I can think of numerous examples, as you can, with drugs that have been recalled because patients died or had serious adverse effects. Those hit the bottom line of the pharma companies. I mean, they've lost millions of dollars, their stock price falls. Anytime there's a recall on a drug, you know, it's just it's a trickle-down effect. The vaccine adverse reactions are reported through VAERS, V-A-E-R-S, mm -hmm. which is man managed by a government agency. 
all of those claims go into a um, consideration by federal vaccine court. And a portion of the tax of every vaccine goes to fund this compensation for families if they are awarded it by federal vaccine court. It's really bureaucratic. And so pharma companies don't have the liability like they do with drugs for vaccines. The government is handling their liability for them because really if you think about it, the vaccine program is a CDC program. So my issue is, you know, I was actually talking to a patient in your, uh, your lobby this morning who had a child that she said was injured by a vaccine. It was immediate. She documented it. She reported it into VAERS. I said, have you heard back from them? This was two years ago. She said, no, they've never responded back to me. I said, well, how do you know that they, your form was even filled out? She said, no, I got acknowledgement that my form was you know, filled out. But there's no, um, there's no communication with family. There's no, here's what you need to do to heal your child. There's no, um, in fact, there was a parent that spoke at the vaccine conference last week whose daughter has had a um, uh, lost feeling on part, part of her body as well as developed daily seizures, seizures after the Gardasil vaccine. This mom has spent $60,000 in medical bills. And her, her example was the insurance company that paid for my daughter to get the Gardasil vaccine is now not covering her medical cost for the vaccine injury. Correct. So we have so many things politically and you know, as far as bureaucratic things that need to be fixed that it just really makes your stomach turn because there's no um, accountability from the pharma companies if there's an va adverse vaccine reaction. I mean, look, we've had 58 deaths from Gardasil vaccine. Does anyone know about it? Do they care? I mean, it, it's, it's really a sad state. And that's where I know we're, I, I know you're a doctor. I'm not going to take you down that path politically, <laughs> but I'm just going to express my opinion on that because I, the, you know, the vaccine conference that I went to was the um, fourth international vaccine conference up in uh, Washington, D.C., and the premise was not about vaccines are bad, they cause illness, they cause death, uh, although they have, and a lot of parents there had children who had died from vaccines or had traumatic injury. But the point of the conference was on informed consent, exactly what you're talking about. Show us the science, let us make the choice. Now that scares a lot of people at high-ranking government agencies because they don't want parents to decide they're not gonna vaccinate their kids and they won't have her, we won't have herd immunity, we won't have, you know, and I hear it from parents that are very against my choice for my child saying, I don't want your son in my child's school if he's not vaccinated because he might give my child an infection. So there's a lot of forces competing in this whole debate. And that's, you know, it's very heated. I mean, it's to the point you can't even mention autism vaccines in the same sentence because people look at you like you're, right. you're crazed. Well, you know, the biggest problem that we also have in that endeavor if we go to the science is that no matter how effective a vaccine program is you will have approximately five percent of people who never develop immunity no matter how many vaccines they're given so that argument obviously does not hold very much weight unless you're talking about a substantial portion of the community not receiving the vaccination and that you're actually able to prove that you aren't going to be able to get the infection following the vaccine which is uh, I think it's pretty much of a joke these days regarding varicella that uh, it really has is incapable medically of preventing the chickenpox. Mm -hmm. Okay, now that's because of the nature of the herpes family viruses that live outside of immune confinement mm -hmm. and decide to activate with very aggressive abandon when they decide to activate. And so it's it's almost a joke to me just because I. I'm aware of the herpes family that we would even consider a varicella vaccination because it's not going to lessen anything. Mm -hmm. 
And I think that's been proven and it will continue to be proven when we finally realize that it's probably not wise to vaccinate our children with a live virus at age one that doesn't need to be vaccinated. Well, exactly. Well, and, you know, on that note, uh, my, my younger child that I don't talk about much because he's neurotypical, thank God, um, he, um, he had all three DTaP boosters. And then after the third DTaP booster, he was about, I think, two years old, he developed this real croupy cough. I take him into the doctor. He's diagnosed with croup, pertussis. And um, so that, that pertussis went into bronchitis um, near pneumonia, and we were on antibiotics and, you know, the whole nine yards. And then he developed chronic asthma. Well, years later, actually last year, I found an article that children who are given their DTaP vaccines before the age of three have a higher likelihood of developing chronic childhood asthma. I've always wondered about that because, you know, he still got pertussis even though he had the DTaP. Like you said, we aren't checking titers on these kids after each booster to no. determine if some kids have immunity and some don't. And probably I'm guessing the reason for that is parents don't want to do a blood draw on a little kid. It's expensive doctors probably don't want to order the test and i think we haven't really um, refined the science around vaccine titers i'm guessing well and i tell you i think it's really an expense issue because certainly we're capable of checking titers i just don't think insurance companies really want to pay for that and i think certainly the government programs don't have the dollars to to pay for that um, what you're speaking of is the um, basically the um, efficacy curve or the the effective curve of, uh, um, oh, I'm sorry, I'm blanking. Sorry, I've been, been a little bit long today. Um, <clears throat> the effective curve of, um, or efficacy curve of a vaccine individually. And what that vaccine curve shows, and I think my patients are always um, amazed to hear this, that after one vaccine of any one vaccine, up to 88% of kids are already immune to that vaccine. And the reason we typically choose to give the second or third booster is only because um, we want to try to catch the extra 7% that we're going to catch between the 88% and the 95% effective rate. Now, that also, if I'm on the other side of the fence and I'm a pediatrician who's given vaccines, that sounds just great to me to have to give two extra boosters, okay? Because why in the world would I want to check a blood test if I can give two extra boosters of that vaccine, okay? So it does uh, kind of present a, a quandary from an ethical standpoint, and I do believe that this argument needs to be kind of passed up to the medical ethicist. You know, clearly the ethics uh, physicians who are at most major institutions have not, to my knowledge, taken up this, uh, this challenge of understanding this, that we actually have some controversial issue here. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of wondering why they have not, because they love to take up issues like this, but we clearly have an economic burden weighing an ethical burden and we have a, a discussion of whether or not uh, all these parents are wrong and all the doctors who pull out their science are right. But you, you and I both know that with science, I can prove just about whatever I want, depending on the question I'm going to ask. And I will tell you that most of the stuff that's published by the, um, the CDC and other major organizations, the question is not appropriately asked. The question is, do all kids with vac that get vaccines get autism? And the, or basically, is there a significant link between vaccines and autism? And the answer is statistically probably not if I ask that question just right. Mm -hmm. But if I took, do patients who have an at-risk situation, 
okay, either by specific family history or by specific immunological history or even better through a biomarker. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And then we give them vaccines. What's the incidence of that? I don't think there's any doubt that we're going to see a major link between this problem. Yeah, because, um, I, and you've said this before, we need to get away from saying autism because autism is merely a symptom for an underlying neuroimmune disorder. Sure. And nobody would know that my son had autism unless he did arm flapping or verbal stimming, you know, because underlying that, and you were the first doctor that taught us that Jake clearly had immune dysfunction. I mean, just like I said, the CD4, CD8, um, over 100 food allergies, I remember, um, and various other infections that he had going on, uh, gut problems. I mean, it was just this cascade of events. And it was um, it was really frustrating because I, I still scratch my head. Had I not vaccinated him, would he be the same kid? Correct. Well, this, this, you're exactly right about this and this whole label of autism. And frankly, the way the CDC reports its incidence is just mind-boggling to me. It's telephone interviews of community people. Okay, and Are then you talking about the one in ninety-one number that came out recently? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Oh, without a doubt. Yep. The problem is we need to label this in, in effect as a neuroimmune syndrome or something that is uh, an inflammatory immune degradation. Whatever you want to define uh, is fine with me as long as it's a medical term because this is a medical illness. Okay. And we're slowly getting the uptake for the insurance companies to acknowledge that. Correct. I know I've had to fight my insurance, but they're starting, you know, five years later, they're starting to recognize that there are clear medical problems. Absolutely. And the foundation of most of these problems is an immunological foundation that just allows a lot of opportunists to take advantage of multiple areas of the body. And if we recognize that and we recognize that these children are truly immunoatypical, immunologically atypical, I think we will then come to the conclusion that vaccines may indeed not be appropriate, especially according to a standardized schedule. Right, and that's where that whole one-size-fits-all vaccine schedule, um, I think, can be changed in the future. But there has to be an openness. And I think we're fighting against the much larger powers. Um, I'll give you an example. I was at a vaccine meeting that was a government-sponsored vaccine meeting where they wanted parent input. And we had a day of present, we had to listen to all the presenters. And I was really surprised because one of the presenters that was brought in uh, was the lady that was the marketing guru behind Seatbelts Save Lives. So she did all the marketing to get people to wear seatbelts. They brought her in to create a marketing program that vaccines save lives. And they talked about throughout the day about how there's this public health scare and parents are terrified to vaccinate. And they wanted to hear from parents why we felt that way. And clearly, many of us told our reasons, but I was just really stunned as to why CDC, uh, IACC, and other uh, agencies around the autism epidemic were so concerned about the public health threat of parents not vaccinating and not the science, not the biomarkers, not identifying those kids. And then it just, you know, it just hit me between the eyes that someone somewhere is protecting their vaccine program, which is profitable, and it goes into pockets of probably people we can't even imagine. And again, that's another political discussion, probably not for this show, but um, that's what really we're fighting against because the science is there, I believe. I mean, you've talked about it, you've, you've published on it. I know we've had um, discussions about all of the immune dysfunction that's been shown over the years. And uh, you and I just put an article out in Autism File on specifically the lab biomarkers to identify these kids. 
not necessarily for vaccine safety, but in general, how you can find these kids for uh, finding immune function. So uh, I will say that when parents ask me, should I vaccinate my, my new baby? One of my first things is, have you done any testing on immune sure. uh, problems? Uh, does, does it run in your family? And I'd love for you to talk about that because that's okay. a frequently asked question. Well, and that's the big issue right there. Um, because if we're going to affect a change, it's great to heal these children, but sure, I sure would really work, rather work on prevention than healing any right. day. Okay. Now, the way that we've, um, we are at a point now, I think, that where we're becoming or getting close to the pinnacle of our understanding of this process because we're not able not only able to understand that the t-cells are compromised or changed in some way but we're really understanding that there is actually specific um, vitamin conversions specific uh, uh, enzyme conversions that um, actually inhibit the ability of the t-cells to function properly now with that being said, the biomarkers are becoming much more clear. Now, they might not be perfect biomarkers, but certainly they are biomarkers that are starting to stand out. And a biomarker, for everybody who doesn't know, is either a hormone or an enzyme or a fatty acid or amino acid or a mineral change. It can be whatever it wants, but it's a marker that shows us a high incidence of abnormality in children who are affected versus unaffected children. Now, the biggest problem with biomarkers is that you can do great studies because if you, like me, for instance, I have several hundred of these children see me a year, new, and I can do biomarkers and tell you what's abnormal in them, but we then have to compare them to a normal group of kids, and that's where it gets difficult mm -hmm. because sometimes that's hard to, to ascertain what the normative range truly is. And so that's something that we're going to have to make as a community outreach, uh, either within the community concerned over the spectrum disorders or the, hopefully the whole uh, community in general, uh, for us to understand what's really going on with these kids. Now, from an ultimate standpoint, from an, from an old medicine standpoint, instead of having a biomarker, if you had a family history and you were worried about it, I can tell you there's not too many parents who believe that they're child was injured by a vaccine they're going to go inject their other children with the vaccine yeah we didn't <laughs> right and they're going to go out there and they're going to say that and they're going to be ostracized and they're going to be criticized and they're going to be tried to talk into they don't even want to go to their pediatrician they don't want to go to their family doctor they don't want to ever be confronted with it because most people just don't want to deal with that mm -hmm. but they still feel the need to not vaccinate their children because they're their children and i think that's certainly be within their rights we have to be, uh, so when, when you have a family history of that, or let's say your brother or your sister or somebody else, and extending to the, not just the immediate family, but somewhere in the other family members, then you, I think you have a right to be concerned. And so you may choose to modify that on the working knowledge that it's just a high risk, mm -hmm. okay? And that just burns doctors to, up. Burn, doctors just can't stand that kind of anecdotal medicine is what they love to label it as but I think we take a family history and and medical records on purpose mm -hmm. and I think we've kind of got away from listening to that process uh, understanding what it really means but I think there's enough foundation there of concern that uh, if I was a parent I'd be equally concerned well here's what I think is so silly about this um, just to generalize it if I go to my general practitioner tomorrow and I tell him that my mother and my father both have diabetes, what's he probably going to tell me? To watch how much sugar I have, to watch my blood right. sugar, to test that. So why do they look at us like we're 
just from another planet when we tell them that we prefer not to vaccinate our children because we have an immune problem in our family. Right. Well, because the what they don't realize is that as we take uh, computerized detailed medical records on all these patients, the family histories of these patients show other neurosensory abnormalities. Mm -hmm. So children who have autism diagnosis or sensory integration, in their families they have a high history of migraines, infertility, dizziness, Alzheimer's, dementia, um, irritable bowel syndrome, um, uh, spastic uh, vascular abnormalities, uh, neuropathies, and so and autoimmune diseases. Mm -hmm. But doctors don't consider those uh, equally important, meaning that they don't make the correlation between what a parent considers autism, which is considered still, I would say, by most doctors, uh, a mental disease, right, exactly. versus uh, inflammatory neurological, um, immunological foundation of a disease. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we, that's the reason I think for relabeling it and understanding that it is related to the immune and neurological systems that you will then start to see some of that correlation coming out. Well, I'm going to take you into uh, one area that I know you're the expert in, so this will be easy for you. But it came up on our uh, – you and I were interviewed by Terry Aranga on Voice America on Tuesday, and there was a, an example uh, – or there was a case of a mom, a young mother, who was on who had had a pretty significant adverse vaccine reaction after her tetanus and flu vaccines. Um, she was told uh, – well, given some interesting advice from her doctor, but – uh, we also got on the subject because around the same time, I think on Tuesday, there was a story that broke on this new virus that they found in 40% of mm -hmm. these autistic children. And so we had a great conversation. I'd like for you to maybe to summarize a little bit about that on if a child has viral problems or a virus circulating and then they get vaccinated or an adult for that matter, how can that be, you know, kind of the perfect storm that can set up for regression? Well, you know, the biggest problem is, um, and I think it's a, a big concern uh, these days, especially with this swine flu circulation that we're seeing, um, there are a lot more viruses that are capable of infecting the nervous system than we're aware, okay? And the, the, the uh, virus I'm sure you're referring to is the XMRV, uh, which mm -hmm. is the new retrovirus that um, they discovered at the University of Utah, excuse me, of Nevada. And when people come and ask me about that, because you know all, all parents with kids with autism keep up with everything and usually find it out before I do, but um, <laughs> it didn't surprise me uh, to find out that there were new viruses. We're going to keep finding viruses. We're going to find them for uh, the next 100 years because especially those retroviruses, which are viruses that are considered to theoretically be around for since life began and um, are embedded in our core DNA and can mul multiply and shut off and on and do all this kind of stuff is just will not surprise me in the least. What I would tell you is that viruses, the only th reason that they're a problem, and I really want people to understand this because it will relate to not only your concern and how you would relate it to your doctor um, or your family, but also related to how we help these children recover is that any type of infection, infectious process or, um, or toxic process or exposure um, creates an oxidative stress. Mm -hmm. And that oxidative stress comes from inflammation. And inflammation and healing do not mix. 
So if we have viruses that are allowed to run amok because our immune system can't control them, what actually hurts the child and keeps them from developing is the inflammation. It's not the virus. Mm -hmm. Okay? So the reason that we have to be most concerned about all these things is that we have to be able to understand in order to heal these kids and in order to prevent other children from getting these problems that the immune system is the key. We cannot... I cannot kill a retrovirus. I'm kind of an expert at killing viruses. I can't kill a retrovirus. So that wouldn't be responsive, say, to an RNA? I can't. No, I can't kill it very well. Now, it may be somewhat responsive, okay? But retroviruses go through a real weird conversion from RNA to DNA and back to RNA, and they do all kinds of funny things in the cell, okay? So you really have a tough time killing viruses. Now, there might be some creative ways we could do it. Hyperbaric oxygen, that's Mm -hmm. potentially great, okay? would you have to do yeah, I have no idea yeah. and neither does anybody else right. but the whole idea is there's one thing that definitely kills viruses and controls them and that's a normal immune system mm-hmm. okay so you've heard it from me and I'll repeat it probably till the day I die that the best way for us to fix anybody is to fix the body's natural ability to control these things mm-hmm. okay so I want to really 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 emphasize that because the vaccines are truly a big issue on introduction and timing of introduction. Mm -hmm. But it does not mean that if we can't recognize that a child has an immunological deficit and rectify that immunological deficit, that that child then could not undergo vaccinations, okay? Mm -hmm. But it has to be recognized that it creates a problem in the first place, okay? And if we'd stop paying attention to arguing whether they caused it or not and really get to the point of which children are having trouble and why are they having trouble and let's change it, then I think we'd be better off as a society. Well, and I agree with you there. And um, I've heard from many parents who said, I've never vaccinated my kids, but my child regressed into autism. Correct. And that route, when I first time I heard that, I thought, wow, that's a very different story from mine. But that parent said, well, there was this infection that they got or there was an exposure to lead paint in our house there was always a trigger always and um you know back to the virus point though i I was on a yahoo group today uh pretty advanced biomedical users on this group and parents are real excited about the new blood test that could be available in a few months for xmrv virus so i'm thinking okay so let's let's say that the blood test is out on the market we all go test our kids for this virus and let's say 50 percent of them come back positive for the virus that's not going to tell us anything because I'll bet you if we did other viral markers on these kids or cultures or titers, we're going to find these kids have probably got, I'm guessing, a dozen or more viruses oh, sure. circulating, right? Sure. So you're right, and I, I wish I wish that message could just get uh, broadcast out to, so widely because I hear a lot about killing pathogens. You know, we've got to kill the yeast, we've got to kill the viruses, we've got to kill the bacteria, but fundamentally... It's the immune system. we got to heal. Yeah, you're right. I mean, the Lyme-induced autism group, did they have Lyme disease that induced the autism? Very likely. Yes, it was. People who had vaccine-induced autism, correct. Toxin-induced autism, correct. Okay? Anything else, Epstein-Barr, cytomegalovirus, you can just go down the line. It doesn't really matter. Okay? All you did was initiate a major inflammatory state in the body that stalled the development of the nervous system and possibly hurt the immune system and the gut probably too Mm -hmm. okay now what's important how do you fix all of them you fix the immune system okay 
We cannot kill and keep up with supplementation effectively enough to cure these kids with our techniques by ourselves. We have to reinitiate the body's normal mechanisms. The body, the more you learn, the more inadequate you feel as a doctor because it is so complex. So in general, you'll just hear me pounding it over and over, and you hear it as one of my patients, that how do you fix that? Well, you fix the immune system, and the body fixes itself. Right, okay? which is, I've told the story before, but that's what happened with my son. Right. The gut issues resolved. The metals were clearing on their own. The uh, Many of the food allergies are gone. Right. And it wasn't because you were giving him um, all these supplements to kill this, kill that, uh, help the gut. I mean, we were doing some of that, obviously, as immune support. But the bottom line is we're healing his immune system. Right. And within a year, we saw a different kid. Now, the XMRV virus is very interesting. But what I haven't seen yet is what's the incidence of it in normal people, mm-hmm. okay, which is not something that you're probably going to see too much too quickly. But And please don't be offended by this. I am interested in any virus that comes around because, mm-hmm. they're you know, that's my life. Yeah. But, but in general, I'll tell you right now how you fix the XMRV. You fix the immune system. Mm-hmm. So you don't get it? Or, or you, you control it. Or you control it. Yeah, you get it. Everybody's going to get it probably. Right. Okay? Everybody's probably already got it. Mm-hmm. It's just is it going to be active or is it not? Mm-hmm. Okay? So thousands of new viruses are going to be out there. Mm-hmm. We're just going to find them. We're just going to keep finding them. We'll probably find new forms because retroviruses are really old viruses by definition. They've been around th- in theoretical medicine for, like I said, since life began. So that's just well. Um, so I'm going to um, I'm going to summarize then with um, the fact that I don't think we expected today to have resolution on this controversy, but I think it's important that parents hear the message, and that is heal the immune system. Uh, that all of the CDC and the FDA and the AMA that they hear the message that the kids' immune systems have got to be healthy and one size fits all for the vaccine schedule is not appropriate, not what we're seeing. And you know, it reminded me of Kenneth Bach. He wrote the book on the 4A epidemic with allergies, mm-hmm. asthma, ADD, and autism. And he said that, you know, he, and this book is a few years old now, but he talked about how one, up to one in four kids, and it might be higher now, has one of these immune problems. Sure. And um, I think that number's growing. Um, you know, I, I don't, well, we live in Austin, but I see so many people have allergies or immune problems of some sort. So as we try to get a handle on this, um, I know I'm getting better at answering the question from parents, should I vaccinate my child? And I say, let's check, you know, check the immune status of your child, family history, immune status, and make um, an informed decision based on the science. And I think, um, uh, I know we're in Texas and we have vaccine exemption rights. Um, some states do not, but I will say I think it's important for parents, physicians, and um, professionals that work with our kids to just really um, support informed consent because really I think that's what's critical in this whole issue. Well, it certainly is at the status that we have now. And I certainly believe that, um, well, we have some biomarkers we're pretty confident in right now too. And so obviously those are the answers that we um, – stick to because we do like to be objective and I think as soon as we establish these more congruously across the country I think that we can even take the states that have non-vaccine exemption and maybe give medical exemption not just for ethical mm-hmm. ethical reasons 
And so, I mean, it's a tough, it's a tough subject, and I know it eats at the crawl of every parent who uh, feels like vaccines contributed to their child's development. And, you know, all I can tell you is that we're going to have to band together, and we're going to have to not fight it, in my opinion, as a in-your-face, nobody should get a vaccine, that should never have happened, blah, blah, blah. But we just got to prove that our children were not the children that were correct for this vaccination program and that it may have that there are other people that can do it just fine just like being allergic to penicillin it's no right. different mm-hmm. well i think that's a great explanation um so it's time to end our show for today okay. um i'm very excited to announce our next broadcast will be on how to assess nutritional and biomedical deficiencies and treatment with supplements which is another one of your favorite areas <laughs> um and i want to remind our listeners that they can send us questions at any time via email to questions at drkendallstewart.com And questions will be addressed during our next broadcast. So with that, thank you, Dr. Stewart. You're so welcome.